0: All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At Close of Business, news briefing.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. This is Simone Grogan with your top stories this Thursday afternoon. Fortescue Metals Group has marked its 20-year anniversary by changing its branding to Fortescue, while its green energy arm has acquired the owner of a proposed green hydrogen project in the US. Under the branding changes, Fortescue will operate with two divisions, being Fortescue Metals and Fortescue Future Industries. Its six-member leadership team includes Fiona Hick as chief executive of the metals business and Mark Hutchinson as chief executive of FFI. Both will continue to report to executive chairman and major shareholder Andrew Forrest. Meanwhile, Mr Hutchinson announced today that the group is investing 35 million dollars to acquire a 100 percent interest in phoenix hydrogen hub this is the group's first major investment in the u.s following the passage of the inflation reduction act which provides large subsidies to new projects in sectors like critical minerals and green energy in other news, the Corruption and Crime Commission has called the state government's investment in private company Goldmaster a disaster that has incurred a loss of at least thirty million dollars. A Triple C report over the actions of housing authority officers in the project Stella Orion development was tabled in state parliament today, almost one year after Business News reported on the failed housing project. The project's aim was to develop separate buildings containing apartments to offer social housing on a lot in Wentworth Parade. Success in the city of Coburn starting in two thousand and nine. The third stage of the Project was financed with the help of the Housing Authority's investment in a private company named Goldmaster Enterprises. In August, Business News reported that the state government planned to wind up Goldmaster and its land holdings. And lastly, Mineral Resources has abandoned plans to put $1 billion towards developing lithium chemical plants in China, instead affirming intentions to build its own on home soil. The Chris Ellison-led miner updated the market on Thursday morning, advising it would not invest any further in downstream investments planned with US lithium giant Albemarle. Under the previous agreement, MinRes was to buy a 50% stake in two refineries being developed in China by its joint venture partner. The changes announced today come as what's been branded as a simplified agreement between the pair in an lithium market. It also represents a geographical shift in the direction of Minres' lithium business, with the company saying it plans to table a preliminary study for a lithium battery chemicals plant in Australia before the end of the calendar year. Mr Ellison has been vocal in the past about what he believes is a lack of government investment support for processing critical minerals domestically. In its statement today, Minres said its preference was to build downstream capacity in Australia if the project economics delivered value. And that's all from me this afternoon. You can read more on these headlines at businessnews.com.au. Coming up next on the podcast, Mark Byer and Jack McGinn discuss how a small rotary club in suburban Perth has had a big impact on an international medical charity. Want to reach the 1% of people who make 80% of business decisions in Western Australia? Business leaders and influencers trust Business News for accurate, independent and insightful news, editorial and intelligence across every sector, every day. Place your brand in front of WA's business, political and community decision makers with our integrated platforms encompassing print, digital, podcast and events. Contact our team of experienced account managers to find out more. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash advertise.
2: Welcome back to our close of business. I'm Jack McGinn. Today I'm joined by Mark Byer. Mark, how are you going? Very well, thanks Jack. That's good. Hey Mark, in the most recent edition of Business News, you've uh, put together this really good story. It goes to the really goes to the heart of community organizations that are helping to achieve big things. Um, so Interplast Australia in New Zealand is a charity doing a wide range of international reconstructive surgery work across 25 countries. It's a volunteer organization with huge scope and significant impact. What on earth does Interplast story have to do with the Rotary Club of Kenwick?
0: Yeah, look, yeah, really, uh, I really enjoyed putting this one together. So, Interplast was established about forty years ago in Melbourne. It was a partnership between the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and a group of Rotarians in Melbourne. And as you say, um, Interplast has volunteers from across Australia. Who go into countries across the Asia Pacific and provide surgical, specialist surgical services. And for that, uh, you need the right equipment and you need the right support. That means money, mm-hmm. and that's where the Rotarians come in. So they've got a network of Rotary clubs across the country providing financial support. The local angle is that the Rotary Club of Kenwick has been by far the largest donor to Interplast um, out of all the Rotary clubs across the country. Wow. So it was a great story about a, a small community group in Western Australia uh, that just has been consistently supporting Interplast and has recently hit a million dollars in collective support.
2: That's an enormous achievement. A million dollars. Fantastic. So In what ways has Rotary Club of Kenwick sort of gone about raising its money for Interplast and how has it sustained its contributions to the charity? Because I imagine that's a a challenging thing.
0: I caught up with Brian Guest. Now, he's a former district governor for Rotary and a former board member of Interplast. And he made the point, um, and this is something I could agree with from personal experience, when you've got community clubs that keep on hitting up their own members for financial support, Uh, the well can run dry very quickly. Uh, People have limited capacity or appetite to keep on putting hands in their own pocket. So he came up with this idea about approaching local businesses and having a direct debit program. So the members of the Rotary Club of Kenwick went out to their own networks and in cases cold-called local businesses and said, are you prepared to support us? Just a small amount of money but each month, month in, month out. And that had a lot of success. They signed up about 100 businesses initially. And then the other critical part of it is that they've stayed in touch with all those businesses. They invite them to an event every year. They keep them updated with how their money is being used by Interplast. And they've had a remarkable level of uh, continuity and support. So of those original 100 Uh, 16 years later, there's still about 60 of those businesses that are continuing to donate. Uh, That's really unusual to see people stick at it for that long. Um, And there's a whole bunch of other new businesses that have come along in the interim.
2: Yeah, it's a a fantastic hit rate. And I suppose that communication angle is really important when you are asking people for donations and for money towards a cause. So, I understand there's uh, some changes up ahead for Rotary Kenwick, which is a little bit surprising given the impact that it's had. It, It seems that it's actually about to disappear. What's the situation at play there?
0: Yeah, in fact, it has just changed. So the number of people in the club has diminished over the years. So there's been a merger between the Rotary clubs at Kenwick and Canning, and they formed a new entity called Rotary Canning River. Right. Uh, Brian tells me that'll have about 25 members to start with, and he thinks that's a pretty good number. It sort of gives them a solid base, um, and he's hopefully they can do bigger and better things in future.
2: So it could actually expand their reach a little bit in terms of what they might be able to do for Interplast.
0: Yeah, and it just shows too, these aren't huge organisations with large numbers of people um and and again drawing on my own experience uh, with any community organization there's usually a handful of people that really drive it you know the ones that get uh, heavily involved um and and keep things happening and and i guess motivate and and provide the opportunity for other members to contribute mm,
2: definitely so What does Interplast actually do with the funding it receives? You touched on, you know, buying equipment and and sending people places, but what does it actually sort of all go towards?
0: Yep. So they've got about 400 volunteers on their books at the moment, Um, everything for primarily plastic and reconstructive surgeons, but they've also got anaesthetists, nurses, and other allied health professionals like podiatrists and speech therapists. So their volunteers typically spend about two weeks a year working overseas uh, for the volunteers from Perth, they primarily go to Laos and Papua New Guinea. Mm. And the idea is that by going back to the same places year after year, they build connections in these communities that they go to. And, I mean, I guess number one, it's about going up there and providing direct patient care, you know, providing specialist medical support that's not available in the local community. But that's just one leg of what they do, Uh the other really big part of it is around capacity building and strengthening the workforce in the local communities. So they do a lot of in-country training and mentoring to try and upskill people that are there. They also provide financial support so that they can get people from these countries to come back into Australia to get specialist training here that's not available um, in their local market. And then later on top of that, um, It's all about improving clinical facilities in each country. So they try and work with governments. They work on their their training programs um, and sort of their their health strategies. And um, Cameron Glover, he's chief executive at Interplast, he said, look, a measure of success is that if they don't need to go back to a location, then they've done their job. Um, But he certainly emphasised that point. They don't just fly in, do a bunch of surgeries and leave. It's an ongoing relationship and it's all about building capability.
2: It's a little bit like what Rotary's been doing with the local businesses over the last however long. Indeed. Fantastic. Mark, look, thank you for sharing your insights today. It's a really great read and our listeners can find it on page 38 and 39 with a nice big photo here by David Henry of, of Brian and Cameron. Uh, they can also find it online as of today. So if they want to check it out, they can do so there too. Thank and, you for joining And me.
0: worth oh. mentioning, I suppose, uh, the folks at Interplay say that with the number of volunteers they've got, uh, they could be doing a whole lot more if only they had more financial support.
2: There you go. <laughs> Uh, Mark, thank you for joining me. Have a great day.
0: Thanks. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.